Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Alrighty, welcome back. I'm going to get into the Durham report here in just a second, but before I do, I want to make mention of my latest Substack for the month of May. It is out now, and it is titled Snakes Among Us, the Pharmaceutical Industry, the So-Called Freedom Doctors, and the Refusal to See the Truth. That is on theamericanclassroom.substack.com. Please bounce over there and check that out. This, I think, again, is, is the tip of the spear regarding the shots, what's in the shots, what's being put in the food. Anytime you hear the term mRNA, I think going forward now, we can just assume that it's snake venom, that it's multiple different kinds of synthesized venoms that are specifically designed to attack the central nervous system. Now, you've heard me reference them before, and this is, of course, the five docs who have the Critically Thinking channel on Rumble, Merritt, Northrop, Tenpenny, Pilevsky, and Madej. These individuals, I, I believe, as I state in the article, have a golden opportunity here. They know that the mRNA stuff is either not in the shots or the, the phrase itself is just a giant distraction, because really all that is is any kind of a poison that's destroying your RNA and your DNA. And that's essentially what that means. So all of the individuals, again, talking about mRNA this and mRNA that, they're not going for the real source, according to Dr. Brian Artis, and I believe him. Again, the, the evidence is laid out in my article, and of course, the documentary Watch the Water too. But the five docs have a very interesting opportunity here. Because in their last episode last Thursday, uh, Dr. Merritt and Pilevsky know, know pretty much what's going on. They know that the mRNA story is not real, that there's more to it than that. And as I also say in the article, the five docs have no problem criticizing the so-called freedom doctors. And that's an excellent thing. They do not like Robert Malone. They don't like Simone Gold. They do not like these people that are bouncing around constantly. And Peter McCullough, same thing. I mean, they, they've openly stated on their channel that these individuals have very nefarious ties and are refusing to look at the facts. Even Pilevsky himself described a story where he was on a stage at a particular sort of conference kind of thing relatively recently, certainly within the last calendar year. And he was on the stage with uh, Peter McCullough. And I think I mentioned that in a previous episode, but they were having a debate about germ theory and germ theory not being real as far as Pilevsky is concerned because he knows that it's not real. He knows that viruses aren't real. There's only poison. And if you poison the body, then the body views whatever poison that is as being a foreign agent. And apparently Peter McCullough wasn't having any of it. And that's the, you know, that, that's the problem going forward. If these individuals don't want to put down all of their years of medical school and the, the countless lies that they have believed this entire time and that they've just been duped, well, then these are people we have to leave behind. Because as I say in the article, the Overton window is being thrown in the other direction again to expose more things. And if people aren't willing to follow that window and look through it to see what's available and see how it's consistently moving, then uh, they're going to be left behind. And they're going to look foolish in the process because they're just going to be in the dark again. And the rest of us who are looking through the light and can see what's actually going on 
we're going to look back at them and say, uh, who needs them? And that's pretty much where we are and where we have been with a lot of those freedom doctors to begin with, or certainly at this point, I should say. So again, feel free and bounce over to the American Classroom Substack and check that article out. And uh, yeah, I, I bring I bring the evidence. So I take some screenshots, of course, from the Watch the Water documentary, but then I take some screenshots from some articles I found that clearly show that they're talking about synthesizing snake venom and they have no problem doing it and they're excited that they get to do it and then use it for quote-unquote therapeutics in the future. And that's the real problem, I think. So there is that. Okay, the Durham report. It's not surprising for those of us that have filed it the entire time. We know, dating back to the days when even Peter Strzok was testifying in front of Jim Jordan and Devin Nunes and Trey Gowdy and all those guys many years ago when Trump was in office, we fully understand that uh, that all of these individuals have been engaging in treason, sedition, and espionage, and certainly overthrowing a duly elected president and doing whatever they could to keep him from being reelected. And of course, we know that he won the 2020 election. We know that Trump won and that it was just flat out stolen. It was stolen by the deep state. It was stolen by the media, and they were all in on it together, which means they're all guilty of the same things. But here's what I want to read. I've followed Technofog for quite some time, many years as a matter of fact. They're a lawyer, apparently. And uh, their substack is called The Reactionary, and they threw out what they're titling The Durham Report, A Quick Analysis. This was from the evening of the 15th, and I just want to very uh, quickly read through their bullet points here. They have a number of them. So here we go. It says the following. It says, Special Counsel John Durham's investigation and inquiry into government corruption lies to secret courts, the weaponization of the U.S. military, I'm sorry, U.S. intelligence apparatus, it says, and the FBI's attempt to take down a sitting president has concluded. It's been released. You can download it there. I, of course, have a copy also. And keep in mind with the PDF documents, because it's over 319 pages long approximately, but in the upper right-hand corner, when you open up these PDFs, you can do word searches for particular people, their names, particular words, and then you can find exactly what uh, you know exactly what is being talked about regarding those individuals. One of the interesting things, which dates back to when Trump was on Twitter, is is he would call James Comey corny from time to time. I think it's even in some Q posts. What's odd is is when you type in corny. In the, search, in the search bar of the PDF of the actual report, in the document itself, it says Comey, but it still finds all of the Comeys, even though you're searching for the word corny. And then on the left-hand side, where you can see all the different pages and even some of the words and the, or the sentences surrounding the word Comey, it actually says corny in the left-hand side. So. I don't know what's going on with that. I think it's funny. Somebody's having some fun, clearly, uh, behind the scenes regarding the creation of this document and what it looks like and sending messages to people to, again, get them to pay attention to Q posts and, and Trump's old tweets where he was referring to Comey as corny. But either way, it's interesting. Because for such an important document, why would you allow the word corny to be in there in place of Comey? So again, it still says Comey in the document itself, but when you search corny, 
the words corny within sentences show up on the left-hand side, and it actually says corny. So I don't know. Weird stuff, but it's interesting, I think, and, and certainly kind of funny. So here are the bullet points. It says, here are some of the main findings. The FBI discounted or willfully ignored material information that did not support the narrative of a collusive relationship between Trump and Russia. Crossfire Hurricane was opened as a full investigation without the FBI ever having spoken to the persons who provided the information. Days after it was opened, Peter Strzok was telling a London FBI employee that there's nothing to this, quote-unquote. Internal FBI communications discussing Crossfire Hurricane during its early stages, it's thin and it sucks, quote-unquote. British intelligence pushed back on Mueller's request for assistance. Quote, a British intelligence person basically said that there was no expletive way in hell they were going to do it, unquote. Durham documents two investigations into Hillary Clinton, one involving the Clinton Foundation and one involving illegal foreign contributions to Clinton's campaign. In one Clinton campaign investigation, an FBI confidential human source, CHS, had offered an illegal foreign contribution to the campaign through an intermediary. The Clinton campaign was okay with it, quote-unquote, and, quote, were fully aware, quote-unquote. The CHS offered the FBI a copy of the credit card charge. The FBI never got receipts. In fact, the FBI handling agent told the CHS to, quote, stay away from all events relating to Clinton's campaign. And they have the screenshot of that. It continues. It says, in February of 2016, FBI Assistant Director Andrew McCabe directed the Clinton Foundation investigation to be shut down. He walked, he walked that back after receiving pushback, but McCabe made sure that his approval was, re was required for any further investigative steps. It says the New York field office was called on behalf of FBI Director Comey and informed to cease and desist from the Clinton Foundation investigation. The FBI and DOJ restricted both of those Clinton investigations, making sure that essentially no investigative activities occurred for months leading up to the election, unquote. In comparison, the FBI opened a full investigation into the Trump campaign based on unvetted, unvetted rather, intelligence, quote-unquote. The CIA has direct knowledge of the Clinton plan, and it's in quotations, to vilify Trump by linking him to Putin and Russia. On August 3rd of 2016, CIA Director John Brennan met with President Obama, VP Biden, and other senior administrative officials including but not limited to Attorney General Loretta Lynch and FBI Director James Comey. At the meeting, Brennan informed them of the Clinton plan. Seditious conspiracy, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm going to read through those, uh, those laws and the punishments for those. And of course, there's a clip that's also on my Gab page, and it's been bouncing around too, of Obama back when he was president in 2016, although illegally because he wasn't born here. Uh, talking to Chris Wallace on Fox News, saying that he doesn't talk to the DOJ and he doesn't talk to the FBI, and certainly not about investigations. Well, he's a liar. So it continues. It says in September of 2016, the CIA sent the FBI this information on the Clinton plan to link Trump and Russia. Somehow, the FBI did not—I'm sorry—did nothing to vet or investigate the Clinton plan 
Even though they were using parts of the Clinton plan, the Steele reports, to investigate the Trump campaign, Durham writes, quote, no FBI personnel who were interviewed by the office recalled Crossfire Hurricane personal personnel talking any action to vet the Clinton plan intelligence, unquote. In fact, if it was the CIA's Clinton plan memo was somehow buried within the FBI. Most members of Crossfire Hurricane, quote, had never seen the intelligence before, unquote. And as we have previously discussed, it was never disclosed to the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court in contravention to the court's local rules. FBI Director James Comey was deeply interested in the Crossfire Hurricane investigation and micromanaged it, demanding the Carter Page FISA warrant, telling Assistant Director Andrew McCabe, quote, where is the FISA, where is the FISA, unquote. The FBI knew relatively early that its Carter Page FISA warrants were dubious. That FBI knowledge only intensified by 2018 as FBI analysts discussed how, quote, Steele's subsources could have been compromised by the Russians, unquote. They were going to prepare their findings in a memorandum. FBI Deputy Assistant Director for Counterintelligence Dina Corsi met with, uh, I'm sorry, met with the review team and directed them not to document any recommendations, context, or analysis in the memorandum they were preparing, unquote. An FBI attorney was at the meeting, quote, he confirmed that the team was told not to write any more memoranda or analytical pieces and to provide their findings orally. Unquote. Corsai's demands, according to the FBI attorney, were, quote, the most inappropriate operational or professional statement he had ever heard at the FBI. It then says, Igor Danchenko, the steel primary subsource charged with and acquitted of lying to the FBI, was paid $220,000 by the FBI as a confidential human source. This was paid after the FBI knew Danchenko lied to them. As the Durham investigation proceeded, Durham learned, quote, the FBI pr- proposed making continued future payments to Danchenko, totaling more than $300,000, while Durham was actively investigating this matter, unquote. The FBI, in effect, was seeking to influence a key witness who would later face criminal charges. It then wraps up and it says the FBI's reasons for paying Danchenko were certainly curious. Interviews with Durham's office revealed, quote, the FBI's executive assistant director for national security made sure that they were not even able to accurately describe the value or contributions of Danchenko that would justify keeping him open, much less making hundreds of thousands of dollars in payments to him, unquote. Technofog wrapped it up and said, we'll follow up on this with much deeper analysis, hopefully by tomorrow. Part of that story is the problem with the Durham investigation, the fact that its scope didn't include the attribution of the DNC hack. Correct. Enter Seth Rich. Ladies and gentlemen, this of course came after, all of this information in the Durham report came after Pizzagate, Seth Rich, and all of it. I mean, you could practically, you know, pick a story. Um, all of that is tied to this, all of it. And they were doing all of this, of course, in an effort to cover up all of those particular things. 
it was done both as a distraction from those, but also as a direct target to, of course, do whatever they could to discredit Donald Trump both before 2016 and then well throughout his entire presidency. Because if you recall, that was sort of one of the main stories and certainly one of the constant talking points, albeit now false, and we knew it was false when it was happening, but this lays it out perfectly. They had no proof. They were paying countless people to just bounce around and say things that weren't true and just keep the story going. So, yeah. But I'll, I'll read more from Technofog in the future when he comes out with more stuff regarding the specific report. Again, there's a lot of trivial stuff in there. All of that, uh, you know, all those childhood-like giddy conversations between Peter Strzok and Lisa Page are in there. Again, a lot of that, a lot of those particular text messages and things were brought up in previous congressional hearings, again, back when Trey Gowdy was was in office and uh, Devin Nunes was in charge of that committee and those individuals were testifying. And if you recall, Lisa Page didn't testify in front of people. She was testifying behind closed doors. I'm sure some of that's in this report also. But this is, I would say this, in my humble opinion, this is one of the, and I can't be the only person who shares this, but this is the groundwork. This is the groundwork for the normies just to continue to show them that the media has been lying, that the DNC has been lying, and that they're consistently being lied to. And eventually, even the most staunch victims of, of, of lying, the individuals who have been lied to constantly, they will eventually get tired of it. Eventually, they will become exhausted from being lied to with such regularity that they will start to say to themselves, what else are we being lied to about? What else is happening here? And ultimately, again, this is seditious conspiracy. This is conspiracy to commit fraud. This is conspiracy to overthrow a duly elected president. This is treason. It's misprison of treason, rebellion or insurrection. And it's espionage because they were working with individuals overseas with foreign agents and foreign governments, which now leads me to this. Title 18 or 18 U.S. Code Chapter 115, which is Crimes and Criminal Procedure, Treason, Sedition, and Subversive Activities. Here's what it says. Subsection 2381 is treason. It says, quote, whoever owing allegiance to the United States levies war against them or adheres to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort within the United States or elsewhere, is guilty of treason and shall suffer death, or shall be imprisoned not less than five years and fined under this title, but not less than $10,000, and shall be incapable of holding any office under the United States. Now, very quickly, Again, in my humble opinion, and I can't be the only person who shares this, we know full well that there's not a court in the United States that can actually handle this level of treason. This has to come from a military court. It it can't be your average county court or your average state court. It just can't. And it can't be one of the federally tied courts either. This is a military issue. And this, again, this Durham report is laying the groundwork for that. Because that's what it proves, that's what it shows. And you have mainstream media outlets openly admitting this now, which means they're openly admitting their own involvement in it as well. And endless video of that, of course, and endless audio of them just going along with it and pushing it constantly. So 
the higher-ups in the media apparatus are certainly involved. There's, there's no doubt about that. But no local court can handle this. And, I might add, we can't let these people survive. They can't do no less than five years in jail and just get a $10,000 fine. The people who engaged in all of this are multimillionaires. $10,000, they wipe their backside with that. But we also can't leave them alive because they will still do similar things in the future because they're pathological and they're criminals. And this is what they do. The example has to be made here that if you go against the United States in an attempt to overthrow a duly elected president or overthrow your country, which is ultimately what they were doing to usher in again multiple shots and kill all of us and everything else. And clearly the border invasion has a lot to do with that now also, but they were knowingly engaging in this. These people cannot survive. They cannot be given a second chance, which again, you know, one of the questions that I, I wish people would consistently ask themselves, and, and I certainly do, and, if, and some people I know consistently ask, ask these questions, which is, where are these people? I mean, where are they? Gina Haspel, the former CIA director, the, the, the woman, she hasn't been seen since 2020, since before the election of 2020. And she was never seen after that. And I mean never. And the rumor about Gina Haspel was that she was either a white hat the whole time. There are a number of rumors about Gina Haspel, which, which I think are fascinating. One of them was is that she was a white hat the entire time, gathering intel, gathering information, and then she disappeared to work with more white hats in the military behind the scenes, which is why we've never even seen her. No one's even asking about her. Again. You would have thought that in 2021, when people were still going after Trump and the media, they would have asked the question, where's Gina Haspel? Let's get her on CNN, MSNBC, and let's talk to her about something as superficial as, what was it like being a woman working for Donald Trump and under the Trump administration? They didn't even do that. She just disappeared. The other rumor about Gina Haspel was that she was in Germany during the election in 2020, and that those election numbers and, and some of those electronic documents were being observed in Germany and being manipulated overseas. Well, that's espionage. And the rumor was is that she was over there while that was happening. And then special forces broke in to confiscate said evidence, ended up killing a bunch of people in the process, and shot her either wounding her and then taking her captive and then down to Gitmo or just killing her because she was there and she was doing whatever she was doing. So I don't know which one is true, but I know for a fact that she's just gone and no one's asking any questions where these people are. When was the last time we saw James Comey face to face or on camera, really? I mean, when was the last time we saw him? You know, these questions matter. Loretta Lynch, when was the last time we saw her? It's been a while. Certainly been a while. We saw James, um, I'm sorry, yeah. John Brennan, rather. I was going to say James Brennan. John Brennan, we saw him just the other day, allegedly. So again, it's, it's awfully strange. We're seeing some of these people and then we're not seeing others. But nobody's asking about Gina Haspel.
I'll continue here. Miss Prison of Treason, subsection 2382. Whoever owing allegiance to the United States and having knowledge of the commission of any treason against them conceals and does not, as soon as may be, disclose and make known the, the no, I'm sorry, make known the same to the president or to some judge of the United States or to the governor or to some judge or justice of a particular state is guilty of misprison of treason and shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than seven years or both. Again, we can't leave these people alive. We can't. Rebellion or insurrection is the next one. Subsection 2383. Whoever incites, sets on foot, assists, or engages in any rebellion or insurrection against the authority of the United States or the laws thereof, or gives aid or comfort thereto, shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than ten years or both, and shall be incapable of holding any office under the United States. Seditious Conspiracy, subsection 2384. If two or more persons in any state or territory or in any place subject to the jurisdiction of the United States conspire to overthrow, put down, or to destroy by force the government of the United States, or to levy war against them, or to oppose by force the authority thereof, or by force to prevent, hinder, or delay the execution of any law of the United States, or by force to seize, take, or possess any property of the United States contrary to the authority thereof, they shall each be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than 20 years or both. I wish it said kill people more often, but <laughs> it, it doesn't. But hopefully, that's, that's changed maybe. Advocating overthrow of the government. This is a big one. Subsection 2385. Wow, this is, this is massive. This will be the last one I read. This is huge. Whoever knowingly or willfully advocates, abets, advises, or teaches the duty, necessity, desirability, or property, propriety, sorry, of overthrowing or destroying the government of the United States or the government of any state, territory, district, or possession thereof of the government of any political subdivision therein by force or violence or by the assassination of any officer or any such government or whoever with intent to cause the overthrow or destruction of any government, such government, prints, publishes, edits, issues, circulates, sells, distributes, or publicly displays any written or printed matter advocating, advising, or teaching the duty, necessity, desirability, or property of overthrowing or destroying any government in the United States by force or violence, or attempts to do so, or Whoever organizes or helps or attempts to organize any society, group, or assembly of persons who teach, advocate, or encourage the overthrow or destruction of any such government by force or violence, or become or becomes, or is a member of or affiliates with any such society, group, or assembly of persons, knowing the person the purposes thereof, shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than twenty years, or both and shall be ineligible for employment by the United States or any department or agency thereof for the five years next following his conviction. 
if two or more persons conspire to commit any offenses named in this section, each shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than 20 years or both, and shall be ineligible for employment by the United States or any department or agency thereof for the five years next following his conviction. As used in this section, the terms organizes and organize with respect to any society, group, or assembly of persons include the recruiting of new members, the forming of new units, and the regrouping or expansion of existing clubs, classes, and other units of such society, group, or assembly of persons. Unquote. Any, basically, anybody with ties to Antifa. In that right? the media, and anybody with ties to Antifa. So that's an awful lot of people. That's an awful lot of people who should go to prison. I just wish that uh, more of these subsections had hang them by the neck until dead. Apparently treason is the only one. Now, not surprisingly, I decided to watch uh, Brett Bayer. I mean, that's surprising because I, I never watch him. And don't watch Fox News, but I wanted to see the reaction to this on Brett Bayer's show on Monday Monday evening. Certainly with this panel that he was having, he he talked with Jonathan Turley first and Trey Gowdy, and they were of course going for the throat, as you would expect. Turley brought in the media, said the media is culpable in all of this, but he doesn't think anything's going to happen. And then that was pretty much the same with. Uh, with Gowdy, and, and he ultimately ended up saying, look, the FBI is no different today than they were back then. The panel that they had was equally, I would say, even, well, I would say it's, it was even more pathetic. It, they brought in uh, Britt Hume. They brought in the mixed race, uh, Demo old Democrat congressman from Tennessee, who's, again, a Fox News employee and, and totally worthless. And then they brought in another woman who, again, is a seeming conservative. And I, I forget her name, but I recognize her face. Anyway, um, the summary of the three of them was basically Brit Hume sort of blew it off like, yeah, this is terrible. This is one of the worst interference things in, in political history. And then ha ha ha, and then smiled it off. And then that was it. The former Tennessee congressman, he said, it's just politics. That was his explanation. Well, it's, it's politics. This is pretty, it's pretty dirty politics. <laughs> and I thought to myself, you've got to be kidding me. This is treason. This is sedition. This is espionage. That's what this is. It's conspiracy to overthrow a government. That's, what the, that's what's going on here. And then when the female chimed in, the seeming conservative, again, she w w was pretty bland about the whole thing, but was more serious about it than the, the former congressman and certainly more serious about it than Britt Hume. So, again, Fox News was in on it, ladies and gentlemen. They were in on it. I mean, if you're talking about the small-time employees being in on it, I don't know about that. But the higher-ups were in on it. That's, that's the big takeaway here. It, it's not just left-wing outlets, so to speak. The treason and seditious conspiracy was occurring at the highest levels of every media apparatus that you see when you turn on your television. They were all in on it. They all went along with it. That's the biggest problem. And they have to cease to exist. I really do think we're seeing the end of CNN. I think we're seeing the end of Fox News. 
And I hope a day comes when none of them are around anymore. Absolutely none of them. That we get back to something that resembles more basic communication between Americans, both at a local level and on platforms such as this, where again, you can email the individual and the individual emails you back, or you can have a dialogue with the individual and a back and forth. That has to happen. All those media apparatuses, though, are closed systems. They're all closed off. They want nothing to do with the everyday American because the everyday American knows more about what is going on in the world than they do. And the slow drip, drip, drip of information really isn't for us because we're ahead of the curve. We know what's really going on. They're just bringing up the rest, the rest of everyone else. And again, people's inability, again, to look through the Overton window as it slides through society and advances itself along this great awakening that we're all experiencing, then they're just going to be left in the dark because the light is shining through that window metaphorically, and we have to follow it and we have to look through it. And if we have the ability to see in the dark a little bit ahead of the window before the window gets there, well, great. Then we have to talk about that kind of stuff too. But if you're not going to follow the window, you're just going to get left behind. And that's always happening. There's always people being left behind. In this entire, in this entire awakening, so I think it's just going to continue to be that way. But Fox News was in on it. That's all they were in on it, and somebody there has to swing. Remember Arizona. Remember them calling Arizona in 2020. They called it before the polls were closed. That's a big, big deal. That's a really big deal. There's also this, and I wanted to read this. This is an old. Um, it looks like a 8chan post, or maybe even an 8coon post back when uh, that first went up. But this is from March of 2017, March 22nd, 2017. And it has a giant Intel picture. And again, it's completely anonymous, but I wanted to read this because I think it's interesting. And then they provided a quick follow up the exact same day. And it has to do with surveillance, and it has to do with surveillance of technology, and again, how they were spying on Trump, and how this person apparently knew it, and, and knows how that gets done from an electronic standpoint. They said the following, quote, I've been working at Intel for the last 15 years as an electrical engineer. Three years ago, I bored my job and wanted to move to a different department. Intel is pretty good about letting employees move around within the company. An opening came up on the management engine team. And since I have experience with microcontrollers, I figured I'd give it a shot. The interview went great and they wanted me on board, but the final step was to get a security clearance. I asked them what the F I need a security clearance for, and they said they couldn't tell me until I was on the team. Thus began a three-year trip down the effing rabbit hole. I'm coming forward today because of the news that Trump was spied on. I know exactly how it was done because I spent the last three years adding back doors into the ME. For those of you who are unaware, the ME is on a separate CPU and cannot be disabled, and it exists at a level below the operating system. Intel has been working with the intelligence community for years to get back doors into physical hardware so they don't have to worry about finding OS ex exploits. 
If the hardware itself is compromised, then the whole machine is compromised. They continued, and they said the ME has full access to memory without the parent CPU having any knowledge. It has full access to the CPI slash IP stack and full access to every peripheral connected to the computer. It also runs when the computer is hibernating. It doesn't matter if you're using Windows, Linux, Mac OS X, uh, Wanix, if I'm saying that right, Tails, Cubes, OS, or Subgraph. If you have an i3, i5, or i7, then you're completely owned by the intelligence community. We added similar function functionality to Samsung's Weeping Angel, except the intelligence community calls our project Odin's Eye. Through the ME, we can activate the mic and webcam even though the computer appears to be off or sleeping. Evidence of surveillance on Trump, his family, the key people in his campaign will come out eventually. I know the surveillance happened for a fact. Future leaks are coming. Watch for Odin's eye. Unquote. Yeah. They have all of our devices. Whether we know it or not. Whether we can control it or not. Switch this on, switch this off, whatever it is. There you go. These companies were doing this to a sitting president before he became president and then probably after the fact. And again, if they had their heads about them, which they probably did, they allowed it to happen. Because then, of course, you would catch them all. You would just trap all of them. And I'm certain that's happened. It had to have. Again, if you're the sitting president, as Donald Trump was, and you're the commander-in-chief, which he still is today, why would you not have the military watching all of this and ensnaring all of these tech companies with what they were doing to him and then let them just get away with it? I don't think that's going to happen. I really don't. There's too many cue posts to point to point out that all of this goes away and all of this ends. And, uh, and, and real justice is coming certainly by 2025. I know that that's a date and I'm projecting on that, but there's plenty of analysis to point that out because as we know, 2025 is when Donald Trump is, is reinstalled for his third term. Again, the, the historic lessons of this too are beyond evident. I mean, Roosevelt was president for, for, for three terms theoretically. Uh, before he passed away, and that uh, apparently is is exactly what's taking place here with Donald Trump, because when leaving office in 2020, he he wouldn't actually be leaving office. He would simply be saying, "I'm handing this over to the military. The military is in charge. I'm still the commander in chief, but we're going to let this guy play president, who likes to sniff girls and rape them." We're going to let him play president, and we're just going to keep ensnaring these people with what they're doing. I'm, I'm almost positive that's exactly what's happened because there's just too much evidence of it. And more people have to wake up, and more people are waking up. And as we know, and this is sort of my final point on this before I move on to some education stuff, this had to happen with people believing that Joe Biden is in charge. All of this had to happen on his watch, and it's happening. A seeming border invasion, drugs everywhere, rampant homelessness, 
unethical uh, prosecutions of individuals, no equal justice under the law, and, and a thousand other things. I mean, foreign affairs, you could pick one. All of this is happening under Joe Biden's watch from a normie's standpoint. That's going to frustrate them. And somebody was opining online and they were saying, how bad does it have to get for leftists regarding the homeless situation and, and the foreign invasion? In particular in the cities, because we know that leftists congregate within these cities by and large. And, and they were basically saying it has to get so bad that they're getting kicked out of their own places of living and even their own work environments to house illegals because there's nothing else that they can do with them. And the crime will become so bad and the cost of things will become so bad and all of the quote-unquote pleasantries that they've enjoyed or the luxuries that they think that they've had this entire time will evaporate in front of their faces and they will have no choice but to never support something like this ever again. I, I think we're experiencing part of that now. I think that's going to continue to happen certainly throughout this year and well into next. And other people were opining and saying, hey, look, and I, and I agree with this too, when you back these people into a corner and you back these criminals into a corner and they know that they're dying and they know that they've been defeated, that's when they're the most dangerous. That's when you're going to start to see more controlled, quote unquote, mass shootings, not necessarily in schools because most of those are fake, although they are soft targets. So there's nothing keeping keeping them from really going after the guns by loading up an illegal MS-13 member or a couple of them, filling them with drugs, throwing them rifles, and saying, go get them. And they would, because they have nothing to lose. So I, I, I think, unfortunately, we can expect more of this. Again, there was a shooting in the northwest side of, uh, northwest corner of New Mexico the other day. Just a random, random shooting. Again. Apparently with an AR, bunch of people dead, bunch of people wounded. Uh, Cicely's been throwing me information from that because, of course, that's her state and that's where she lives. But, uh, you know, they had schools on lockdown and the whole thing, but all of the shooting was taking place outside, not associated with any school building. But again, how many more of those are we going to start seeing? Where they're going to use those as controlled events to either change the narrative among those in the media and certainly among the gun grabbers and keep that at the forefront or just use it to continue to decline society as much as humanly possible. I think, I think we can expect it. So yeah, carry a gun. Heads on a swivel. We're still at war. And every single time the good guys come out with documentation like the Durham report, the bad guys are going to start squirming and they're going to look for a distraction and something to uh, something to get people hurt in order to overtake the narrative in the media. So there you go. All right. Education-related stuff. Quick follow-up from the last episode where I was describing the story at the front half of uh, the student who is associated with the, well, is the adopted son of the school board member. Apparently, they have been in in-school suspension, certainly as of Monday. They have not been expelled, but they are in in-school suspension. And the other unfortunate part, along with that, because they should be expelled, 
is that copious amounts of other parents who aren't even involved were never told about this. Which proves my point again, that these administrators do not email the other parents, and they certainly don't email the other teachers about what is going on, although the teachers know. But the teachers will probably be told to not communicate this with parents, and that if their students ask, don't say anything. And they do whatever they can to put a lid on the fact that they have a student in their building who threatened to kill four girls. Now, if you were a parent, whose child was not threatened by this student, and yet you still sent your child to those schools not knowing that that had happened, would you want to know that? And would you send your child to that building finding out that that had happened? My guess is no. So it's kind of interesting, again, because there's just copious amounts of other parents who don't know, but there are copious amounts of parents that are finding out. And they're not letting this go. They're emailing, they're calling the school, they're demanding to talk to the, to the principal, and I hope they put his ass in a sling and back him into a corner because these kinds of things cannot be tolerated. I don't care if they're associated with anybody in the school district. That kind of behavior can't be tolerated. And they don't get to pick and choose what punishments are what for students because of their associations with people in the district or not. It doesn't matter if he's black adopted by gay parents or not. None of that matters. And everybody always has a right to know what's going on in the building regarding violence. That was always one of my, oh, I don't know. I, I would call it a pet peeve, but that's, that's downplaying it. It's way worse than that. That was always one of the biggest problems when I was a school teacher is why in the hell, if we know what's going on as school teachers, can't tell students what's going on regarding the discipline of a particular student who either broke the law or did a particular thing. Again, I've brought up this story before, but we, of course, weren't allowed to do that. So, so people thought. And when a student of mine in, I believe he was in sixth grade, he was holding on to a bag of marijuana for another student who was always in trouble. And this student was a drug user and associated with other delinquents and other losers. And uh, the kid who was holding the drugs was a rather innocent kid looking for a friend and unfortunately hanging out with these, with these kids. But he was the one who was caught with the drugs, not the one who actually bought it. Now, they both got suspended. But what happened next was typical, frankly, and that is that students start to spread rumors about what happens in, in said situation. And I remember hearing those rumors from my students, and then I stopped them in my class, and I said, that's not what happened. I said, I work here. I do this for a living. Here's what happened. And, and they said, oh, that's all, that's all he did. He was just holding on to it for, for another student. And I said, yeah. I said, he shouldn't have done that. And if you're in possession of illegal drugs and you're just holding them for somebody, I said, that's against the law. But they're minors, and they typically get let off for things like this, unless, of course, it's the individual who actually brought the drugs. But after all of those rumors and me dispelling those rumors, I called the mom of the student who had been suspended who was just holding the drugs. And this kid was white, and she was white, and the kid who brought the drugs to school was black, if you were curious. Point is, 
is the mother was upset with me initially because the administrator in the building had told the mother that I was telling students about what had happened to her son. That's not true. I was dispelling rumors. So the administrator was yelling at me for getting involved, and I said, what part of this don't you understand? There are rumors going around about why this student is being suspended, and they're lying about him, and that's not good. So why don't you tell the students what happened then? And he goes, I'm not supposed to do that. Neither are you. And he kept yelling at me. And I was like, shut up. Just shut up. He goes, well, the mom's really upset with you. And she wants to have a conference with you and whatever. I said, I'll just give her a call. So he leaves, doesn't think I'm going to call her. And I called her. I said, hi, this is Mr. Brooks. I'm sorry to hear about your son. I like him. He's a great student participates in class. He has an A in my class. I said, he, he made a bad decision. I said, but that uh, I wasn't gossiping about your son in my class. I said, I was dispelling rumors because rumors were going around because no one was telling the truth about what happened to your son, including administrators. And I told her administrators weren't even telling us what was going on. I had to ask and find out. And she said to me over the phone, you're kidding me. And I said, no. I said, they're saying things like, the students were saying things like, your son's a drug dealer. I said, that's not true. They said, he, he bought the drugs from this kid and, was, and he was caught using them in school. I said, that's not true. She said, oh my God. And I said, yeah, I know. You're welcome. And by the end of the conversation, she was thanking me for stopping the rumors about her son and intervening. And she was pissed at the administration for not being more forthright about what was really going on and what was happening. So the next time I saw the administrator, I looked him point blank in the face and I said, I called the mom. I said, she thanked me for intervening on the, on the rumor spreading regarding her son and she wished that you had done the same. And he, his eyes got flipping huge. And he looked at me and he goes, you called her and she talked to you? And I said, yes. She was grateful that I called and talked to her and told her the truth about what was going on. And I looked at him and I said, my recommendation is next time you do that and do that immediately, quickly. And he turned around and he left. Making school administrators who don't do their job look like idiots is, is child's play for me. It's child's play because it comes with the territory. Yes, I know there are some good ones out there, but the vast majority suck. And that's clearly evident in the ongoing case here, but who knows? Hopefully I will uh, continue to hear a little bit more, and yeah, we'll see what happens. So, with that said, there's also this. And ask yourself if this is normal, too. This is a follow-up from a previous story regarding the sexual assault, allegedly, in the Texas school regarding the iPad, where students were allegedly filming a sexual assault taking place in a classroom. This is from Fox News. It's titled, First Graders' Mutual Inappropriate Sexual Contact Wasn't Assault, Texas Authorities Say. And then the subtitle, Hale County District Attorney, FBI Probe, found, quote, a sexual assault did not occur, according to the Plainville Independent School District. Here's my only question. When was the last time you heard the FBI get involved 
with an alleged sexual assault within a school building, a K-12 school building. Why is the FBI involved? It says, again, some of the people were placed on administrative leave, but then they've been brought back because there was no sexual assault. Determined that the sexual assault did not occur. Rather, mutual inappropriate sexual contact occurred between two six-year-olds. The incident was brief, 34 seconds, with no outcry for help or struggle. The district also noted, adding that the school reached out to the parents or guardians of the children involved to inform them that the inappropriate content had been found on the iPad and that the Child Protective Services had been notified. Again, I just find it strange that the FBI would get involved in something like this. You heard me bring up the child trafficking aspect and how that's always an ongoing thing. We know the FBI traffics children. This is a fact. Uh, This kind of stuff does occur. So here's the letter from the superintendent. H.T. Sanchez, EDD, Plainview Independent School District, Plainview, Texas. For immediate release on the 10th of May, it says. It says the Hale uh, Hale Country District Attorney. They probably meant county. It's a common typo. I've made it myself. Uh, And FBI crimes against children agents are in the possession of all investigatory statements, videos, electronic devices, and timeline of the incident at South Elementary School Plainview ISD, with the investigation concluded and submitted to the appropriate legal authorities. Key findings of the investigation may be made public. There are 10 of them. Number one, once the video of the incident was identified, law enforcement was contacted immediately and Child Protective Services soon thereafter with a request that a special investigator assist with the investigation. Number two, the electronic devices were immediately taken into police custody and placed in locked evidence lockers. Number three, law enforcement personnel who reviewed the content of the video determined that the sexual assault did not occur, rather mutual inappropriate sexual contact occurred between two six-year-old students. Number four, the incident was brief, 34 seconds, with no outcry for help or struggle. Number five, the teacher was not wearing headphones or earbuds per surveillance video from the hallway to where the teacher was seated at the time of the incident. Number six, wait a minute. (laughs) Okay, so they heard it go on or they didn't hear it go on? Or they were too far away from it? I'm not sure. Number six. The same evening the video was found and two six-year-old students were suspected to be on the video, parents' guardians were contacted to make them aware of the inappropriate content that was found on the electronic device and CPS would be notified. One parent guardian answered and the other was not able to be reached by the campus until the following school day. Number seven, Child Protective Services investigator instructed district personnel to not discuss the incident with anyone until he was able to intervene each participant, I'm sorry, interview each participant in the incident. Number eight, after the initial interview was conducted by Child Protective Services, the campus administration notified parents that a Child Protective Services investigator would contact each of them to review the incident with them. Number nine, after the Child Protective Services investigator contacted parents, the principal assistant superintendent and superintendent met with the parents' legal guardians of each student involved in the incident and offered external counseling services. Number 10, 
All six-year-old children involved in the incident are victims and being treated as such due to the occurrence of behaviors that are not typical of six-year-old students. Then it wrapped up and says, we cannot speak for the conclusion of the Hale County, they mean, district attorney, or FBI. The law in the state of Texas does not provide for criminal penalties for children under the age of 10, and public schools are prohibited from expelling or suspending children in third grade or below. Unquote. Still seems strange to me. It still seems odd. I'm not sure we'll ever get any logical conclusion on that. I'm not sure at this point I really care. It just seems strange. These schools are closed systems, as you've heard me say. They operate in a way that is beyond strange. And again, I don't know why parents would send their children to such a school when such a thing occurs and there's such law enforcement, such a law enforcement presence, I should say. It's, it's beyond odd. I, I find it strange, but I don't know. They'll probably just all return. They'll probably just all go back and act like nothing ever happened. So that's usually what unfortunately occurs. This story, however, and this is interesting. This is an example of teachers who should not return to their environment. And this is leading a little bit into uh, the state of education from a larger standpoint and, of course, certainly jab-related as well. This is from Zero Hedge. It's titled, Fired Teachers Who Refused COVID Vaccine to Get Full Reinstatement and Back Pay. Three Rhode Island teachers who were fired for refusing the COVID-19 vaccine have been offered their jobs back with full back pay after reaching a settlement with the school district. (laughs) I love it. I think it's hilarious. Which means every single school teacher in that same school district who willfully took the jabs is not receiving any back pay like these teachers are. They look like the cowards and the sheep and the followers that they, in fact, are. And they're not receiving any money as a result of, of course, winning this giant settlement. And, uh, yeah, oops, jokes on all of them. These were the three outliers who look like the most brilliant people in your entire district, while everybody else just looks like a giant dummy. It says teachers Stephanie Hines, Brittany DiOrio, and Carrie Thurber were terminated from their positions in Barrington Public Schools after they had requested a religious exemption after the school mandated employees to get the vaccine. Last week, their attorney, Greg, no way I get that, Piccarelli, and the school district said that they had reached a settlement allowing the teachers to return to their jobs. They are also entitled each, I'm sorry, also each entitled to 33333 in damages, along with their back pay. Diorio will get 150000 Thurber will get 128000 and Hines will receive a pitily $65,000 under the agreement. I wonder why the discrepancy in pay there. It says, uh, based on the Boston Globe, that their lawyer said that his clients are extremely uh, gratified and that they have been vindicated in their position, adding that he will get $50,000 in attorney's fees. Now here comes the district statement where they said, quote, Our district was navigating an unprecedented health pandemic and leaned on the important recommendations by the CDC and the Rhode Island Department of Health to ensure the safety of our students and school community. I'm telling you, 
If you listen to this show, you could have written that statement. Anybody listening to this show could have written that statement. I could have written that statement with half my brain tied behind my back because these individuals say the same shit over and over and over again. They don't even hear themselves. We were relying on complete strangers to provide us with medical advice that jokes on us turned out to be snake venom, and now we're all going to die eventually because our RNA and DNA is completely cut in half and we are no longer humans. But these recommendations, ladies and gentlemen, were incredibly important, and we are glad that we took them. Even though they will lead to our death and the fact that we all have AIDS, we're still glad that we took them and we were following these individuals and not listening to any of our employees, but we were listening to these giant conglomerates and these huge companies that are tied with real science. These institutions won't survive, ladies and gentlemen. They won't survive. They can't. They've killed off the entire infrastructure that allows them to exist. These staff members are continuing to fall dead. These teachers, by themselves, could run the district in the future if they wanted to. I mean, talk about, talk about being in the catbird seat when it comes to the profession of education. I mean, these individuals, again, baseline teachers refused to take the jabs, were fired as a result. They, they allowed themselves to be fired. It's a big deal. Allow yourself to be fired. Don't resign. Always allow yourself to be fired when you know illegality is taking place, in particular from a medical standpoint and a bioweapon standpoint. And then if you choose to come back, which I don't recommend, but if they choose to come back, they'll be the superintendent of the, of, of the entire place. They'll be running the entire place because everybody else is going to be gone. So they'll have their pick of whatever job they want within the district. What an abomination. What a nightmare. What an absolute nightmare. Which leads me to this. Jab-related things. Okay, this comes from Children's Health Defense. This is from a few days back. But it is titled, Leading OBGYN Group Took 11 Million from the CDC to Push COVID Shots on Pregnant Women Documents Reveal. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention bankrolled the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists to the tune of $11 million to promote COVID-19 vaccinations as safe and effective for pregnant women, according to an investigation published this week by attorney Maggie Thorpe. I'm, I'm pretty much just going to leave it at that. It's a, it's a rather long article, as you would expect. Uh, we've known that this has been going on for quite some time. They have to push the jabs on, on all kinds of doctors, regardless of their field of study, because they were getting paid. I mean, the kickbacks were, were enormous. So telling them, oh, it's safe for pregnant women, they'd be like, oh, okay. Because again, the profession relies on email. We know that all of these doctors were just receiving emails. It's safe and effective. You know us, your good friend Pfizer. Why on earth would we do something that's terrible? You know us. We're, we're your good friends, the CDC. Why on earth would we do anything terrible? We've sent you all kinds of emails. We've sent you all kinds of free drugs. We've sent you all kinds of, of valuable information. I'm telling you, 
these doctors' offices and these doctors aren't going to exist. Not only because they're jabbed, but because their their own patients are going to come back and rip their limbs off because they know what they've done, and they're going to figure out what they've done, and that's going to be one of those snowballs that just is going to continue to roll downhill, and they're never going to get back. Here's another one, anecdotal. I don't like that word, but it's a legit story because again, who would who would write such a thing if they weren't telling the truth? This comes from Great Awakening. Win. I thought it was rather interesting and very courageous on the part of this med student. It is titled the following. It says, quote, I'm probably not going to be starting my residency because my religious exemption was denied, unquote. Even today, ladies and gentlemen, even today, with all the information out there, there are still med students and nurses and all kinds of people and all kinds of professions having their religious exemptions or even medical exemptions denied. It's astounding. They said, quote, hey, friends, F-R-E-N-S, first time posting. As the title says, my religious exemption for the clot shot has been denied. This exact exemption was approved by five different hospitals during my third and fourth, but not the sixth hospital. I was going into emergency medicine a specialty that saves lives and doesn't push pills and vaccines for big pharma. I'm supposed to sign my contract this week, but have delayed until I heard back regarding my exemption. Well, we know how that panned out. I reached out to the appropriate people to further clarify certain things, but it seems about a 1% chance that they'll change their stance. It's crazy to think the hysteric obsession continues regarding Convid. That's a nice way of putting it. They said the virus isn't deadly and the vaccines are not effective or safe, yet it's still required. Well, there is no virus and yeah. They continued, they said, I've seen 10-year-olds present with ED, with heart attacks, strokes, blood clots, and they all have one thing in common, their clot shot. I've lost count of the amount of healthy people with no pertinent family history developed turbo cancer and pass in a few months, all with one thing in common. I've seen patients on blood thinners develop clots, from their calf all the way to their IVC, all with one thing in common. I've seen horrible autoimmune diseases eating away at patients soon after their vax and boosters, all with one thing in common. It's amazing this community has more insight than highly trained and indoctrinated doctors, LOL. Over the Last four-ish years, I've developed a strong relationship with God. I know everything happens for a reason. They then said any prayers are welcome. Heck, even any questions or comments are more than welcome. Onwards and upwards, friends, unquote. It is astounding. It continues to happen. There were a bunch of comments to it, over 146, with people telling their personal stories, and it just continued, and it was, uh, yeah, I'm just shocked. Absolutely shocked that it continues to happen. All of the evidence that you can print out with an exemption, in particular today, is undeniable. And ladies and gentlemen, I continue to update all of those lists regarding the um, peer-reviewed articles that are on my website and those PDFs. You can download those. Again, if you're still in the exemption business and looking to find exemptions, same thing with the documentaries. I've updated that list to include Watch the Water 2, along with the books that are included in that list also. 
In fact, I think that I have that located in the government's documents section, but I will include, I will move that over. I'll move that document over to the medical documents section of my website. There's also this, and I wanted to bring this up too. This came from COVID vaccine injuries on Telegram under the hashtag suddenly gone Australia. And they copied this particular statement. Rather interesting. Again, has to do with the airlines and the jabs. They said, quote, on our flight from Australia to Dubai, 14-hour flight, on our way to Athens two days ago, the plane was nearly at full capacity. During the flight, several passengers needed medical assistance, some having blood pressure checked and being monitored, I assume for chest pain and for several other nauseate, uh, for several others, nauseated and vomiting, it says. The flight was as smooth as no turbulence at all, and the sick passengers were scattered throughout the plane. Varying age groups. First time in all my years of flying overseas. I have ever encountered a flight with so many or any unwell passengers. The poor flight crew spent most of the 14-hour flight attending, monitoring, and cleaning up sick passengers, unquote. And there's a comment section here. It says, quote, I fly regularly for work and have noticed that one in five flights, there will be someone experiencing a medical issue. Also, flights were nearly always delayed or just canceled. The planes are waiting at the gates, but no crew. I was on a domestic flight last month where a woman went very pale while getting to her seat. She passed out backwards into a woman at my row. She had to leave the plane. Yep, I was on a flight two weeks ago from Beirut to Dubai. I was talking to a lady in Dubai who flew from Manchester to Dubai. And she stated that there was also a medical episode on her flight, that they were doing CPR on someone on the floor. Then she states, well, I guess you have to be match fit to fly these days. I just looked at her and said, what are you? Question mark. Alan Joyce's sister, idiot. Let's just say she didn't talk to me after that. <laughs> okay, that's kind of funny. Uh, they then said, it's happening everywhere. I'm seeing it on the trains in Tokyo, Japan, ATM, this morning, I guess. Uh, yesterday, I was thinking about a plan of action, and a man sitting opposite was having chest pain on the Tokyo line. He was probably 40 and was holding his chest and rubbing his shoulder from pain. He was white and was sweating. The Japanese do not show their emotions and will not show pain if they can help it because it might offend someone. That's how they think. I was hoping I wouldn't have to perform CPR. He ended up stumbling off about 15 minutes later, and I set up a prayer for him, unquote. It, it has to be happening constantly within the airline business. There's no doubt about it. It's continuing to go on. It's continuing to not be talked about. We know it's happening in the military, too. They're testing for HIV or AIDS which, of course, HIV doesn't exist, but certainly the syndromes of having a compromised immune system do exist, and they're allegedly testing for this within the military at great rate with a 500% increase in positive cases. Geez, what could it possibly be? Shocking. There's also this, too. This comes from the expose just very briefly. 
Kind of hot off the presses here. Aluminum in vaccines is the major driver of the autism epidemic. Just a couple of paragraphs. It says vaccines can play a role in autism, which of course we know, and it's been proven in court, uh, although it's certainly not the sole factor or trigger. In the last half of the 20th century, not only has the vaccine schedule grown with many vaccines, it's been added, but our food supply has also been inundated with glyphosate. And there's been a radical increase in the exposure to electromagnetic fields, which again, that's exactly what I talk about in the Substack article in my most recent one. It's never just one particular thing that is the cause. I mean, in many cases, it could be, I suppose, but in in plenty of cases, it's numerous factors. And the powers that be and the enemies in this war know that one factor plays off of the other. They know that 5G specifically targets the ingredients within these shots that people are taking, the COVID shots. Again, it's not an accident and not a coincidence that the finance director in the city where I live, same thing, I mean, it's a small town, but they call it a city, uh, died just a couple of weeks after the FCC erected about half a dozen 5G towers in the dead of night that are about 18 feet tall, one of which is right uptown, right in the center of town, where people congregate. Again, they put these 5G towers up where people congregate. But this guy died two weeks after those towers went up, and he was at least double or triple jabbed. Not an accident. It's, it's just not an accident. The 5G exacerbates the ingredients of the shots. No doubt about it. Which leads me to this, too. Uh, Next week, ladies and gentlemen, is D-Day, so to speak. It's the World Health Organization 76th World Health Assembly in Geneva, Switzerland. This is where they're going to make the decision about their worldwide pandemic treaty and all the different countries that are going to sign on and what's going to transpire with that. I've been through those documents in the past before on this show. I've read through a great deal of them. They're also available on AmericanEducationFM.com. You can check those out if you're interested, but I will do my best to bring that updated information to you next week. It starts the 22nd and runs through the 27th of May. Okay, with that aside, I'm going to end with this. You know, I don't like these people. I've brought them up. I think they're grifters. They're certainly known liars. And of course, I'm talking about Dr. Simone Gold and her uh, alleged boyfriend who can't possibly be straight, John John Strand. A.J. Gochik sent this my way. Apparently, there was some kind of a Zoom call or, I don't know, some uh, woe is me conference taking place where they're trying to, of course, grift off of this entire thing. It's absolutely hilarious. In fact, people in the comments section are really having a fun time with it. Some people are saying, this is so unjust, this is terrible. And yes, I agree, no one should be arrested who was inside of the Capitol on January 6th. But they lied when they openly stated that they were pushed in, that there was nowhere for them to go. That's nonsense. That contradicts everything that Simone Gold brought up in 2021 after it happened, where I witnessed her personally say in Cincinnati, I couldn't think of a more patriotic place to give a speech than inside the Capitol. And of course, there's her and John Strand, and she's got a bullhorn yelling and doing whatever the hell she's doing, and I don't know. 
these these weirdos and their uh, the ties that they have they couldn't be more irrelevant but here is Simone Gold introducing her live-in boyfriend John Strand allegedly and uh you'll listen to his sob story cuz of course now he's playing the victim and they're starting a little fundraiser for it cuz you know they can't get enough cash they can't grift enough the grifters just have to keep grifting so give this a listen and I'll Catch you on the other side of this audio in three, two, one. Um, the next person I'm going to introduce is, is going to dovetail on what we just heard, which is that this is a fight. It's a spiritual fight. It's a spiritual battle. And I acknowledge that I took a plea. That was the situation I felt forced into. But my co-defendant, who was facing the exact same charges I was facing, chose a different path. It's, it's the most compelling story. John Strand. Um, thank you for everyone that's here. Thank you for everyone that has spoken and shared already. Um, thank you, Dr. Gold, for, and America's Frontline Doctors for hosting this moment, which I think is really important. Um, my name is John Strand. I'm the creative director at America's Frontline Doctors. I was involved in January 6th because Dr. Gold was an invited guest speaker at a rally with a government-approved permit. I was there providing security assistance to her to make sure that she was safe in a large crowd. Um, You'll hear more about my story in the particulars. I don't want to belabor the details, really. But the point is, as you've heard, that what's going on right now is tearing people and families and our country apart. Um, and that's really largely happening because um, people feel isolated and alone and unable to do something and, and make a change. Um, there's also a lot of confusion because there's a lot of lies and propaganda and, and that it just makes everything really messy. Um, but I made a choice two years ago when all of this happened at the time, I, because I understood right away that this was all very fraudulent and dishonest. Um, thank you for Ivan breaking down a lot of those legal particulars about what's going on. There's a lot more information now, which is of course helpful, but even the day and the week after, being an eyewitness and being present, I had a gut instinct to understand this was <clears throat> this was not what it seemed, and and this was being misrepresented aggressively uh, on purpose for very nefarious reasons. So I was unwilling to participate in that weaponization. And when I was offered a plea, I understood that plea to be part of the machinery that the federal government at large. DOJ and otherwise, uh, is using. So I refused that plea, even though I knew I would be convicted on everything. So I went to trial in September of last year, and on September 27th, I was convicted by a jury not of my peers in Washington, D.C., for a 20-year felony and four misdemeanors. So I am facing a total of potentially 23 years of prison. I was supposed to have been sentenced uh, and once in January and then in May, and it's now set permanently, I'm sure, uh, in a couple of weeks from first. And I, would, I have a specific detail that I just want to announce, which is um, I'm assuming you are probably mostly familiar with Matthew Perna. Um, his aunt, Jerry, is, of course, a dear friend now and uh, speaks powerfully on his behalf. He was facing a smaller range of a prison sentence until the federal DOJ at the last minute 
enhancements to his sentence that would increase it to five or 10 years, some very long period. And that was so, of course, distressing that he ended up losing his life um, in anguish because of that. So I've received some of these similar enhancements recently from the DOJ, and they are aggressively pushing to sentence me to seven, over seven years of prison. That's their recommendation. That's, that's what they're going for. Um, so that's just it's specific and it's somber. I, I just want you to understand that because that's, the, that's what's happening right now. That's where we're going. I mean, there are other people that are going to face even longer prison sentences. Um, but in my particular case, there was no even hint or allegation of me swinging a punch or doing anything violent or breaking a window or anything. I'm on video the entire time. And literally all I did was chaperone Dr. Gold, make sure she didn't get crushed. Um, Liar. So my sentencing is June 1st in Washington, DC. Um, Dr. Gold and, and some other folks are going to help facilitate a prayer vigil, a zoom prayer vigil on May 31st. Um, we're asking people to participate in that. Um, for two reasons, obviously, number one, the next day, we're really going to be praying for God's intervention and his Holy spirit to be working miracles in the courtroom. Um, uh, just asking for mercy and wisdom for the judge to understand what's going on. Um, you know, uh, all the facts that are really going on. Um, so that's one thing, but also we're really wanting to invite the church, meaning like the people that actually believe in God invite those people to step up to the plate um, and invest and engage in this and take action. Um, so we have an invitation to sign up for that prayer vigil that's on my website, which is johnstrand.com. I'm sure we'll also get something up on the Frontline Doctors website as well. And we're just asking you guys to share that, participate in that prayer vigil. If anyone is in D.C. on June 1st, the sentencing is open to the public um, and we'll hold a press conference immediately afterwards to discuss what the sentence is and what the next steps are. Um, but I just want to say on the record now that I'm doing what I'm doing because, number one, I know I'm innocent. Um, and number two, I know that I've been called by God. to stand firm in support of what I know is right and what I know is true. No matter what the cost, no matter what the prison sentence, no matter what the persecution, no matter, no matter what anything, literally nothing can and will stop me from taking one step at a time and pursuing the calling that God's given me to give witness to the truth. And I know the truth about myself without question, because I am me and I was there. I know I'm innocent. And I know without question, because I was there, that so much more about January 6th is a lie. And the only way to expose a lie, expose darkness, is to bring in light. Right. Yeah. And that's the truth. So that's my mission. That is my, my calling. I am very grateful to everyone being here, participating, supporting. Please sign up for that prayer vigil on the 31st of May. Please support us on the sentencing June 1st. Please continue to support all of the powerful organizations and people, um, the Real J6 that's here and um, many others. Um, and, and America's Frontline Doctors will continue to spotlight this as well. 
Um, and, uh, and, and that's, uh, that's it. Thank you so much for, for your time and attention. It's disgusting. It's just disgusting. Grifters got a grift. These people have no shame. They are pathological liars. Pathological. What he said was outrageous. First of all, they continue to say that they're associated with AFLDS when a judge clearly said that they are not associated with AFLDS. They don't own the name. They continue to grift off of the name because they're grifters. Again, what doctors still support these two people? None of the doctors that you've heard me mention in the past, none of the doctors, excuse me, who were at the White Coat Summits, both one and two, and the one that I attended, are associated with Simone Gold. None of them. They're all gone. They're all doing their own things. They want nothing to do with Simone Gold. You heard John Strand there also say, and because he's lying and he's pathological, is that he was only there to make sure that Simone Gold didn't get crushed. That he was there as her security, so to speak, even though he's the creative director of AFLDS. Well, which is it? Are you the security guy? Or are you the dude who walks around in the sequin sho shoes with the, you know, with the fur coat and the Gucci glasses, uh, you know, being an underwear model, acting like I don't know. I don't know who you're acting like. It's beyond strange. But again, I don't know any anyone with a brain who would pay any attention to these two people and, and their entire grift. Again, in Cincinnati, Ohio, Simone Gold and John Strand were both there. They both spoke. He emceed the whole thing. You've heard me go over all this before. She openly said, when they took down our stage outside on January 6th, we decided that we couldn't find a better place to give a speech in a more patriotic place than inside the Capitol, so in we went. We didn't break anything. We didn't do anything. We didn't do anything like that. And then all of a sudden, the FBI broke down our door weeks later, and we were, we were detained and arrested and whatever else. Victim, victim, victim. We're, we're now the victims. Again, I'll say it again. Nobody who entered the Capitol building should be arrested, except for, of course, the people who went along with the Ashley Babbitt fraud and people who actually broke property. I mean, yes, they should have been detained, fined, et cetera, et cetera. But they're still grifting off of this. And he's going to be sentenced, apparently, on June 1st to at, you know, approximately seven years, according to him, potentially. Uh, he, he, he shouldn't be in jail for January 6th, he should be in jail with Simone Gold for stealing from people. They stole money. This, is, this has been shown. They've misappropriated funds. They've mishandled a 501c3. They've, they've, uh, they've blended at least one in with the other that they, that they apparently both have. The Sheriff Matt guy's throwing money their way too, I assume. He's certainly taken money out of the quote-unquote AFLDS account, upwards of 300-some-odd thousand dollars, and either kept it himself or given it to Simone Gold. It's disgusting. These, these people are gross. Again, I, I find it so hypocritical and almost unbelievable that the very people criticizing government and criticizing all of the illegality and unethical nature of everything that happened in 2020 wouldn't look at the January 6th thing 
before it occurred on the outside looking in and say, you know where we need to go? We need to go past that giant crowd into that building and give a speech. Because, you know, government will let us get away with it, even though we constantly criticize the illegality and corrupt nature of government. I mean, honest to God. It'd be like giving a lecture about not wanting to get wet and then walking outside in a rainstorm. They've lost their minds. These are not thinking people because they're criminally minded, in my opinion. They're just criminally minded. And now, you know, the sob story, oh, oh you know, it's a spiritual battle and oh, I just want everybody to pray and you have to log in and probably pay a certain amount of money to pray with us online and we'll all just pray and we'll pray. They should pray that they don't get caught for embezzling money. That's the real crime here. That's what they've really engaged in. And if he goes to jail, you know what? Sweet justice, as far as I'm concerned. If he goes to jail for seven years or 20, I really don't care at this point. The guy's a criminal, so he needs to either do time for one crime or do time for a fake crime. Yeah, at this point, I know that's not very compassionate, but I really don't care. They're, they're robbers. They're stealers. These people are the worst of the worst. Yes, they, you know, they had a moment in time when they were useful. Simone Gold in particular, you know, helping wake people up and yelling at a microphone very early on and saying the, the treatments exist. You don't need shots. Uh, you don't need to do the hospital protocols. Those are killing people. I mean, good for her. She saved lives, but she also saw a greasy opportunity to steal money. And she's been doing that ever since. So, I don't know. Not much else to add there other than, you know, good luck. When you play with fire, you're going to get burned. That's the way government operates. So with that said, ladies and gentlemen, I will catch you on Friday. Thanks for listening. Peace. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.